The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Welcome along. It is 5 p.m. North American Eastern Time. That's 6 p.m. in the Canadian Maritimes. Half past six in Newfoundland and beyond the Americas. 10 p.m. in London. 11 p.m. in Copenhagen, where they've uh, closed the vaccine program completely. Midnight in Kiev and Moscow, now in the same time zone, if not yet the same country. Half past one in Tehran for all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran for the half-hour time zone. 2.45 a.m. in Kathmandu for all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone. 5 a.m. in Singapore, Honkers and Perth. I'm terribly sorry about that. 7 a.m. in Sydney and Melbourne and a far more convivial hour for the Kippers and Kedgeri for our Commonwealth cousins across the Pacific. Happy Mother's Day in Bolivia. Happy Children's Day in Nigeria. Happy fifth birthday month all over the world to members of the Mark Stein Club. Uh, First of all, I must apologize for not being here last week. It was a sudden emergency and a lot of, uh, unfortunately because of the way it was phrased at the website, a lot of you assumed I was dead. Uh, That wasn't actually so. What happened was uh, I came home after Thursday's Mark Stein show and found I had an ailing cat on my hands, took the cat uh, to the emergency vets and the vet said uh, it was kidney failure and the cat uh, needed to be stabilized overnight so the cat would be well enough to travel uh, in order to get an operation uh, urgently needed the following day and there was nowhere in New Hampshire or in Vermont that could perform the operation Uh, So the nearest place was Tufts in Massachusetts, which is a world-class institution. But uh, funnily enough, because of all the COVID and all the rest of it, they had no staff. So the world-class institution had no one there to perform the operation. I've been to Tufts before. It's excellent, assuming, you know, they've got anybody on duty. Uh, And they didn't uh, last week. Uh, And then... Uh, They found another place in Portland, Maine. Same thing. Same thing. They were only operating at whatever the capacity was, so there weren't enough uh, doctors and nurses there to perform. So eventually uh, we remember that there's a place in Montreal that took terrific care of uh, a, a sick dog of mine a couple of years back. So, but of course, since then, everything has gotten far more difficult. So we've got to figure out how you get across the border, whether it's possible to get the cat across the border and everything. Everybody who goes across that border now, which uh, didn't really require ID until 9-11, and it now is immensely complicated, you have to announce your arrival. You have to file for permission to cross on the internet beforehand. So I did that. And for some reason, my and and I got a thing saying, oh, yeah, you're all cleared to go and check in. Uh, For some reason, that didn't come through. That came through at my end, but not at their end. So I couldn't. So I got I got to the border. And of course, I had to do this myself because you always have to know the point at which you just have to say, screw you guys and bulldoze your way through, Uh, which is what uh, actually had to happen because the arrive can computerized fill in form didn't come out at there. Anyway, I mention this only because, not because I expect you to be interested in my cat, but because wherever I turn these days, nothing works. Whether it's a world-class veterinary institution like Tufts in Massachusetts or whether it's a Canadian border post, nothing works. They've screwed the whole planet 
uh, under the guise of public health. Under the guise of public health, no one goes to work at Tufts anymore. Under the guise of public health, uh, the you, you require computerised entry into the land you were born in and you do the computerised entry and it doesn't work. So these are dangerous. I called it after a phrase I thought Kate Smythe had come up with, but uh, Kate, I think, has said it's some other fella out there on the internet somewhere, the controlled demolition of the Western world. That's what's going on. So the things that, you know, my cat would have, my cat would have died if I'd done as advised. So for me, the priority, because uh, I love my cat. So for me, the priority is to keep my cat alive and to do what's necessary to keep my cat alive. And all that various regimes north and south of the border want to do is obstruct that. Uh, but I'm glad we did keep the cat alive. And uh, that's that's the least of it, Frank. Now, now, as I said, I appreciate it. There's no reason why you should be interested in my cat. Uh, but uh, uh, my cat illustrates the point that nothing works anymore. We're the most advanced societies in human history, and we're total crap. We're seizing up. We're dying. George Pereira is first up uh, with your questions this week, and George says, Mark, as you say, the shooting story gets worse and worse. Uh, just to be clear, this is a school shooting in Texas, 19 children dead and two teachers. When it happened, um, everyone fell into the usual, oh, we need common sense gun control. That's that's what they're saying on MSNBC, and that's what Mitch McConnell is offering his help with and all the blah, blah, blah. It turns out, of course, to be quite a different kind of story, as George notes. The one point that should continue to be made is that armed men from Texas stood around and did nothing while children were being shot and dying. They claim they were told to stand down and 40, quote, men, unquote, said my paycheck and my pension are more important than dying school children. The shooter apparently has been a problem for at least two years. The shooter manages to get a $60,000 truck, at least $5,000 of tactical gear, and at least $3,000 of firearms on his 18th birthday. Where did the money come from? Even at $15 an hour at Wendy's, won't give you that kind of money. The school itself, because of the illegal problem, has locked down 48 times this year. Did anyone in the school even realize this time the lockdown would result in dire consequences? The shooter drives 85 miles, followed by the police. In all that time and distance, no one could stop him. That's a very interesting factoid, actually, George. You know, there's a lot of European countries. You'd have driven straight through the entire country and into an adjoining country with that uh, lethargic... Uh, uh, kind of police response. The shooter, continues George, immediately finds the only unlocked school door, which was supposed to be locked. The police either can't get in or someone claims they contain the shooter by locking him in a classroom filled with children. Each classroom has windows, but the police need a key to get in. I could go on, but the story gets more bizarre and more contradictory with each telling. Has anything about this made any sense to you? No, and I understand why people are driven to conspiracy theories, because the alternative is simply too shaming. Uh, that you have the best equipped police on the planet, certainly the best armed police on the planet, uh, and they're standing there in the corridor for an hour, a couple of dozen of them standing there in the corridor, listening to shots coming out of a classroom. There's only three groups of people in that classroom. There is a shooter, there are a couple of grade school teachers, and there are children. And so uh, you're listening there to the shooter shooting children, and you stand outside for an hour. You know, you know this is... You know, people ask me uh, why I didn't want to take over uh, Rush's show or get a show of my own after Rush died or whatever. People ask, basically, they're, ask, they're asking 
questions I sort of divined the answer to during the fiasco in Kabul and the fall of Afghanistan to the Taliban, which was just a terrible, terrible thing. Um, and in which, you know, the stupid idiots at uh, CENTCOM managed to off a bunch of highly photogenic moppets on the way out the door by claiming that they were terrorists. They killed whatever it was, seven kids from one family. BBC had the story the following uh, morning with Yalda Hakim, and there was virtually zero coverage in America until the New York Times about a week later. Um, and I realized then that, in fact, and, and looking, you know, just looking at coverage, that it's hard, there's no right wing angle on that story that's comforting. Because the right wing position is to say, we have the greatest army in the world, rah, 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 USA, USA. So when, in fact, the army, when, in fact, the Pentagon completely underperforms and just louses everything up that it can possibly louse up as I said, including seven photogenic moppets on the way out the door. People can't, people on the, the binary na nature of American media can't handle that. And it's something similar with this. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not with the, oh, we, we just need sensible and common sense gun control. I'm not with that crowd at all. But the opposition, oh, we back the blue. And, uh, you know, Michelle Malkin, who's uh, no friend of mine because, uh, well, for reasons I'll leave for another day. But actually, I think they're out there somewhere in all the <laughs> trial evidence uh, from the Carrie Katz CRTV case. Anyway, uh, b because of Michelle Balkin, uh, her back, she organized a big Back the Blue rally in Colorado. And the police turned out to watch the big Back the Blue rally. And they stood aside as some Antifa types beat the crap out of Michelle Malkin. The back, the blue, she was backing the blue. The blue weren't backing her. So I think the back, the blue position is rubbish. There's lots of things about American policing that are very, very bad. And the pseudo expertise here, which I love, that were, well, these are... Now, let's just bear in mind that law enforcement in Texas has admitted it. This, this is like a domestic version of an Afghan fiasco. But the Afghan fiasco nobody cared about because it's only Afghans getting screwed over by uh, the departing U.S. military. So nobody cares about that. But the interesting thing, as I observed to someone at the time, it was pointed out, actually, I was doing, I think it was Fox News primetime, and we did a little thing on Afghanistan just before the collapse of Kabul. And uh, they were mo the producers were most reluctant to do it because Afghanistan doesn't rate because it's a downer. And, and most people want rah-rah stories from the news. Well, the greatest, you know, the Pentagon's the greatest. They, they want rah-rah news. And I said, well, I don't care. I'm going to do Afghanistan because I think it should be done. We man and it actually managed to rate very well because of the way I did it. But the point, the point about these foreign betrayals is that they're basically a dress rehearsal for betraying you at home, screwing over you guys at home. The same mentality, the same mentality from the foreign screwovers, the domestic screwovers. And, and there's no point. And then there's the pseudo clever people who say, well, of course, you don't know what it's like to be in these kinds of situations. And uh, the, you don't know what the shooters got. And you, blah, 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 blah. Look, look, the head honcho of Texas law enforcement has said they got it wrong. The kids are dead. These situations have something in common. Mass shootings. The guy, when he starts shooting, knows he's unlikely to come out of it alive and in many cases doesn't want to come out of it alive. So he's going to be a dead guy, and he knows that for the most part. So uh, there's two kinds of dead guys he can be. He can just get away with shooting three, four people, and then he's a dead guy who barely makes the papers because shooting three or four people doesn't really count for anything these days. Or he can run up the corpse count till it's 10, 15, 20, and boom, they're going to be talking about you for days and you're going to be in the pantheon. So 
It's a very particular, and, and actually when people say, oh, you don't know, I have known what it was like since uh, the 90s, uh, I would say, um, which is a general rule. I just reminded my small New Hampshire crew about it when we were in Ukraine, that it isn't like the mo in the movies. What they want to do is start the situation, and then you have a standoff, you know, you have some diehard type situation uh, for a couple of hours while you try to figure out a way to get in and take down the guy. That's the movies. In real life, it's much simpler. The sooner you act, the sooner he's dead, the sooner it's over, the lower the corpse count. And we have here, every, everybody who, who, when one of these things starts, that's the most basic thing you need to know. And it, 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 is, it is basic. And that's why they're all told you don't stand around in the car. And I don't even know how 20 guys, you know, they say, I, I, I don't want to, you know, I really, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that's what it says in the handbook, but I don't fancy taking a bullet, you know, for these grade school kids. I'd rather stay alive myself. I don't know how. I don't know how. Had someone say to me uh, in the last 25, 24 hours that she hoped these guys would be driven to suicide. I don't know whether that's going to happen, but the shame, the fact that no one counter, the only people who countermanded the instructions, federal law enforcement, Border Patrol and CBP hear it on the news and they come charging up. That's, that's actually quite common. We had a little incident in Colebrook, New Hampshire about 30 years ago, and uh, the, the various coppers... In, uh, in the one-man police departments of my town and the neighboring towns, they were tootling around and they heard there was something going on, an incident in Colebrook, and they all immediately head off up to Colebrook. And that's what uh, Customs and Border Patrol did and uh, Customs and Border Protection did and, and the Border Patrol did. All these federal law enforcement agencies, they arrive in town and the other guys stat tell them to stand down. This is not normal. This is not normal. I understand why George is thinking something else is going on here. Because the, the, the most obvious explanation is these, these guys have... It's something to do with being a policeman. It's, it's to do with being a man. And actually not particularly to do with being a man because a mother heard the news, drove 40 minutes, went into the schoolhouse and got her kids. And instead, and, and Governor Abbott, and I hate, I've said on Rush that I hate these press conferences that they hold where there's all the politicians and there's the heads of 37,000 different stupid agencies because you have multiple overlapping contradictory agencies just to ensure as outside this schoolhouse they can all get into a big turf war about it and they're all standing there and Abbott, Governor Abbott says these uh, law enforcement did what they do. They ran toward the sound of the gunfire. No, no, actually they didn't. The sound of the gunfire was coming from the school on the southern side of the street and the police officers were all on the northern side of the street uh, handcuffing and pepper spraying parents who demanded to know why the police didn't cross the road. Why did the police cross the road? Because they're chicken? What's the explanation? What's going on here? And I can't imagine what it's like to stand in that corridor and listen to a man shooting kids on the other side of the door. They're saying they contain the situation. Somebody on the internet says it's like when a tiger escapes from the zoo. And you decide to contain the situation by leaving the tiger in a room with 25 kids uh, to have at them. And you stand outside the door containing it. This is bad. This is bad. This is a fiasco and a humiliation for America, for America. I'm, I'm getting I'm getting a bit of, I'm getting a bit annoyed here. As I said, these are, he's one guy. Come on, 
Come on, sometimes all you back the blue nincompoops have actually got to address what's going on here. They've, they've, he's an 18 year old who never owned these guns until a few days earlier. Your trained policeman, the best armed police on the planet. At some point, at some point, you have, you have to have an instinct like that mother did when she jumped in the car and she goes to the school. Oh, but you don't know what... That's all rubbish. You know, the shooting at the Cenotaph in Ottawa, whatever it was, five years ago, Corporal uh, Nathan Cirillo of the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders, the guy shot him, guy went, then went across the street to Parliament and into the centre of block of Parliament looking to kill the Prime Minister and other prominent figures. And uh, Kevin Vickers, who was the sergeant-at-arms there, that's like a Gilbert and Sullivan office. Uh, that's a guy who carries the mace into Parliament to show that it's operating under uh, royal sovereignty at the start of each session. It's a Gilbert and Sullivan office. It's the sort of uh, it's the sort of office that that people laugh at because they don't think it's anything real, and it isn't real for for for, for you know nine hundred and ninety nine days out of a thousand. But it was suddenly real that morning. So he goes back to that office. Uh, he's got a nine millimeter in his desk that he never uses. That's all he's got. There's nobody else. That nine millimeter is the only thing in the Canadian Parliament. Uh, to protect the Prime Minister and everybody else from this madman coming down the centre block. And so he goes out there, and he's one man with a 9mm, Kevin Vickers, and he puts a bullet in the guy coming at him. Because, you know, uh, he's only got a 9mm, but he knows how to use it, and the whack job doesn't know how to use it. And instead, these guys left the kids on the front line, you know, to contain the situation. Hey, hey, uh, hey, you third graders, uh, can you, uh, we're, we're not, we're just sort of regular uh, constables, you know, I was doing traffic uh, duty until they told me to head over here. Uh, we'd rather just wait till the SWAT team. Can you, can you third graders, feel free to call, call in a couple of second graders if that'll help you. Can you third graders just hold down the killer till our big SWAT? This is, this is a, this is a domestic version of an Afghan fiasco and I don't know and I don't and I'm sorry uh, you know as I said that's that's why I understand people don't want to hear things like that they'd rather have the well I think we should have common sense gun control oh well we back the blue I've known most of these uh, law enforcement officers all my life my uh, my mother played a uh, prison guard in a lesbian prison movie so I know these people I'm proud of where they're it's all rubbish at some point you you got to get real about what is happening and there is no uh there is you know people like instapundit uh glenn reynolds he's he's quite upfront about it this it gets worse with every new detail oh good for the border patrol they drove up from the border when they heard what was oh but then they got there and the municipal police department uh and the municipal police department uh told them uh, you know, don't go in there, don't do anything. We don't want to have to pepper spray you and uh, tase you like we're doing with the citizens, the parents of the soon-to-be-dead kids, if not dead already kids, across the street. Absolutely appalling when you actually read. Uh, there was one guy who lost his stepdaughter. His stepdaughter died. They cuffed him across the street. The police... Can't do anything for the... I mean, uh, you know... Oh, well, you, you, don't, you don't know. Well, no, we don't know, because we've had 37 contradictory uh, versions of events so far. Uh, and, it, and it's interesting to me. It's a bit like the Parkland situation, uh, that school situation. It's a bit like uh, the... Uh, uh, it, it's a bit like uh, the Mandalay uh, Hotel 
in Las Vegas. It's a bit like it's a bit like that, except it's even worse because the contradictions are coming every couple of minutes. Jamie Marsh writes, after Uvalde, isn't a rational response to say never trust law enforcement again for anything, for any reason? Outside the building, scores of law enforcement armed to the teeth did absolutely nothing other than to prevent parents from going inside to try and save their little children. Inside, uh, yes, uh, by the way, this is People point out, well, there is no legal obligation. Again, this is to Lord Moulton's point. I always quote Lord, Lord Moulton that what matters is the realm of manners. You have things that you're legally obligated to do at one end of the spectrum, and you have things that you're legally forbidden to do at the other end of the spectrum. And what matters is the space in between where you are governed by the realm of manners. And the realm of manners should tell anyone who swaggers about as a policeman cruising around town all day uh, feeling good, getting medals for this, all, all, all the rest of it. That it's yeah, it's a rotten, thankless job a lot of the time. But it, there is a moral obligation to act when children are being shot at, and you shouldn't actually have to have it written down in law. There's something wrong when dozens of men all agree that the sensible thing to do is to stand around and pepper spray the parents of the kids who are being shot. Just just awful. That. That's it. definitely in Lord Moulton's realm of man. And by the way, whatever legal obligation the Supreme Court has ruled on, that there's no legal obligation for police to go put themselves at risk, and go charging into these situations. Uh, I'm certainly, I would be seriously surprised if even in America, one were legally prohibited from attempting to rescue one's children and save them from death. So the actions the police were willing to take, they weren't willing to break down the door of the classroom, but they were willing to handcuff and pepper spray the parents. I would be surprised if that doesn't at least end up in court. Jamie Marsh continues, inside the school, law enforcement sat for over an hour waiting for precisely the right breaching equipment and tactical response team to take out the shooter. 19 killed children and 19 law enforcement sitting in the hallway doing nothing while the children were bleeding out. Why should I trust anyone in the law enforcement community ever again? Yeah, all these guys should be gone. Tucker, I think he had the mayor of this town. I don't quite know how town government works in Texas, to be honest. A lot of things are different from the way they are in New Hampshire. I mean, for one thing, this school district actually had its own police department, which is kind of, I find, slightly odd. I think a lot of the complications here come from the fact that there's no such thing as the police, but that there's just these dozens of overlapping agencies. But uh, when, you, uh, when I s saw Tucker interviewing this mayor, I was, I was thinking to myself, uh, who, who, who does the police chief actually report to? And, and it would be, in, in my town in New Hampshire, it would be to the select board, uh, you know, which is uh, three guys uh, who are elect who basically set policy and then the police chief carries it out so uh, I would it, I, I don't know how it works in this town but if these guys if the police chief reports to the mayor I think the mayor should have fired him and all the police department by now I don't quite know why as more and more details emerge the parents aren't angry and aren't standing around police headquarters with pitchforks. I mean, I think this is that level of fiasco. And you're right, you know, this rubbish we hear from <laughs> uh, poor old Piers Morgan and others. Oh, you know, Americans have to end that. America is a, a, a place where it's less and less prudent to go about without a firearm, whether you're talking about... Uh, these strange Democrat-run cities 
or these bizarre happenings that can suddenly spring upon you in the in the middle of nowhere. But suddenly, you know, when you've got the police policemen with unlimited budgets sitting outside the door as your kids are shot, there's no reason why anyone would ever put the second. As I said, these things, these lots of things go differently. Terrorist attacks can be various in their operations. Uh, gang warfare can be various. But, but mass shootings, it tends to be, you know, the sooner you shoot the shooter, the lower the corpse count. If these guys didn't know that, they're not fit to be policemen. Kara C. says... Dear Mr. Stein, I'm a mother of elementary school children and every parent I've come in contact with this week have expressed their disgust with guns far more than any disgust with the deranged and hollowed souls of the people using them to murder the innocent. In my opinion, Americans aren't helpless to the political agendas controlling the narrative. Every American should close all of their social media accounts to start. I believe this action would send a message that Americans are going to pay attention to what's right before them in their own lives and not about Facebook posts or tweets from anyone. Social media is a waste of precious time that rots the spoiled and emboldens the troublemakers, giving them platforms to reach more of the same, feeding this whacked out zombie society. Enough of blaming this or that. Wake up, America. Stop with virtual engaging and see what happens if we go back to being social without the media. Uh, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of truth in that too, Cara. The, uh, the ability of to publish, to self-publish one's manifesto, as happened in Buffalo, is something that is a phenomenon of social media. And as Leilani Dowding and I talked about on TV last night, uh, that's actually, uh, that that's the oddest thing, that that's never part of the conversation uh, when it comes to online harm. They never, they never talk about shutting down those guys. It's all just about shutting down people who fancy giving ivermectin a go for the COVID. You know, it's it's slightly revealing. Uh, it's slightly revealing that. And just to go back, you know, I don't want to go full conspiracy theory, but it's not a conspiracy, for example, to say that the FBI is now irredeemably politicized and that at huge levels, I mean, you still get bozo, uh, rah-rah law enforcement uh conservatives saying, oh, it's just a few rotten apples in the FBI. Well, no, it's got more rotten apples, the FBI, than any police agency on the face of the planet. And they're all there planning highly politicized deep state fake flag rubbish, uh, such as, you know, the kidnapping plot for the, the governor of Michigan. And I was thinking about this the other day, because sometimes you can start these little plots going and you'll find a couple of, you know, losers who belong to a militia or something to front the plot for all the FACO guys you've got. Uh, embedded with them going in there. So there'll be like tons of FBI guys and uh, and a couple of losers who belong to some militia or other. And uh, let's say that, uh, you know, one of the emails goes astray, one text goes astray, and they end up actually kidnapping Governor Whitmer in Michigan. The the FBI's plot, uh, unfortunately, in, in, they meant to arrest everyone go in and arrest everyone on the Tuesday. But unfortunately, something happened. And uh, by the Wednesday morning, they'd actually kidnapped the governor. You have to ask yourself, the, the kind of guys who are in this deep at the FBI, would they actually, uh, you know, once that had happened, and, uh, and, and they kidnap, you know, whoever it is they're trying to kidnap, uh, and unfortunately, something happens and the high profile governor or senator gets shot. They'd be perfectly happy to sacrifice that person to their brilliant, their brilliant uh, fake flag plotting. That's the FBI. 
That's the Federal Bureau of Investigation, which is as rotten as you can get from top to toe. And is just running around monkeying about in all these FACO operations. Do you, do you think there's people in there who would be reluctant? Oh, you know, it was a great thing. The only problem was we really didn't take it to the next level and actually kidnap uh, the governor and then, uh, you know, dump the body in an abandoned well on the edge of town. These these guys are so out of it. I wouldn't trust. You have to be very, you know, think uh, policemen are like any other group of men. But when they're and and so and so sometimes you have like like a lot of the one man police chiefs I've known in New Hampshire uh, they're very decent chaps. Some of the others are a bit more corrupt, but in a low-level way. They, you know, if their ex-wife uh, takes up with another guy, they keep pulling him over for speeding. There's that kind of thing that happened in uh, Rumney, New Hampshire, a few years ago. And if I recall correctly, <laughs> at one point the guy wound up getting arrested. The the wife's new boyfriend wound up getting arrested. And uh, the copper arranged for bail to be set at like $30,000 or something. You know, there's that kind of thing. Then you have what seems to have happened in Texas, where there is a failure that can only be explained by either a decadence, the fact that, that, that somehow they think policing is about the weapons uh, as opposed to the duty the duty that uh, Kevin Vickers understood when he went and got went back to his office, got his nine millimeter, and then took on a guy who was far more heavily armed than he was. In fact, he didn't know what the other guy had, but he just knew that duty had come calling, and that one had to rise to the occasion. And, and so, failing to rise to the occasion is the minimum of what these guys in Texas did. The other thought is that they've become entirely, which I think is reasonable, they've become entirely disconnected from, from, from what it means to be a policeman. But Jamie, Jamie is, is right. I, and I certainly would advise any, anybody, because this is going to happen again. This will happen at some grade school, middle school, high school, kindergarten, somewhere across the country. And if it's your kids in there, you you know now, you might you might, you know, get some good guys showing up, but it's just as likely you'll get fellas like these fellas in Texas showing up. And if you want your kid to be with you at the end of the day, you're you're going to have to be prepared to act uh, yourself. Uh, get a gun, as Glenn Reynolds, uh, insubundant, said. Um, but uh, you know, it, this is this is a. This is not good. This is not good. This is this is the same um, over bureaucratized, uh, overfunded approach to domestic policing uh, as the uh, over bureaucratized, overfunded approach to military occupation in Afghanistan. Suzanne Rennie says, my first thought when learning of the craven reaction of police in Uvalde, Texas, was that the same happened at the Polytechnique massacre in Montreal in 1989. Same refusal by police to actually confront the perpetrator and instead wait. For what exactly? Yeah, that's true. You know, uh, that's where the men, the the uh, shooter walked. I've written about this at great length in books and in columns. Uh, the shooter came. He was a disaffected uh, uh, Muslim youth. He walked into the classroom. He told the girls to go to one side, the boys to go to the other side of the class. He so he separated them by sex, and he then told the boys to leave the room. Now this was the Ecole Polytechnique. So when I say boys. They were actually, whatever it was, 20, 21. They were men. But they all left the room. They all left the room. And then the guy uh, shot, shot all the women and then comes out of the room and walks past them. And uh, 
we we learned all the wrong lessons from that. What we what we learned what the the official government narrative was that this was an indictment of all Canadian men, as opposed to just this uh, um, Muslim who'd been raised by a single mom, and. That uh, and and in fact it was an indictment of Canadian men, not the the official one that Canadian men are full of toxic, violent rage, but that Canadian men stand meekly outside in the corridor uh, as a guy shoots all the women in the classroom, and something similar. And, and again, that's don't forget this. We're dealing here with self mythology as much as anything else. And Quebec, you know, most most people's idea of Quebecers is that they're some mincing, Nancy, uh, peacenik, socialist, uh, francophones in an obscure corner of North America. And so whatever you feel about what happened at the Montreal massacre, it doesn't disturb the, the myth-making of Quebec. Texas is, you know... Tex Texas is the Texas Rangers. Texas is don't mess with Texas. This guy messed with Texas to the point where 19 arm, heavily armed men uh, sat in the corridor as an 18-year-old boy with no experience in firearms, killed a bunch of kids, listened to the gunshot. It's just, it's just, there's no, there's nothing nice about, there's no, there's no consolations in this, in this story. Ali M says, hi, Mark, do you think we are entering a post-democratic, post-enlightenment period? With the World Economic Forum as committed as ever to their Great Reset agenda and nearly every Western leader in their thrall, will we see a return to a neo-feudal society where we are ruled by an unelected, unaccountable oligarchy of elites? Thanks and have a nice Memorial Day weekend. That's true, it's Memorial Day. Uh, yeah, well, I've used the expression post-democratic. I've been using it for a long, long, several, several years now. And uh, the reason is that it's clear when elections are held. If we didn't know it, we certainly should know it after the last uh, five, six, seven years, is that you can, uh, is that it's taken for granted almost in the United States and in the United Kingdom and elsewhere in the Western world that uh, you can vote how you like in elections and your guy may even win occasionally, but on nothing that matters is anything going to change. Uh, so, so, for example, the open, the open borders. A vast majority of Republican voters and even a huge percentage of Democrat voters don't want open borders. But for some reason, uh, the system doesn't function on the issue of immigration. That's before you even actually look into it just as a sort of technocrat might, uh, in which case there's no need for mass, un no society has any need of mass unskilled immigration. Uh, there, there are arguments to be made, I don't entirely buy them, for the point system that operates in certain other countries, but just like letting in millions and millions of people every year just to come in and let them have the run of your country, you're ensuring that even in the smallest, this town in Texas, is, I think, is about fifteen to 20,000 people, something in that range, but that even in much smaller towns, there will be a lack of social trust that will, will make just ordinary social relations difficult. Uh, and, uh, and that will mean that the realm of manners, whereby man self-governs, that's what Lord Moulton meant by the realm of manners. You know, you have 5% of life where you're forbidden to do things, 5% of life where you're legally obligated to do things, and then there's 90% in the middle uh, where you self-govern. Uh, man uh, and his neighbors self-govern. And that realm of manners has undoubtedly shrank uh, sh over 
the cent last century, 80, 70, 60, 50, 40. What is it now? You're, you're forbidden by law to leave the house. You're forbidden by law to operate your hairdressing salon according to whatever's going on. But the, but the big point, which David Saki and I talked about on the Mark Stein show recently, is that the advantage that uh, untrammeled immigration and the like offers to, and identity politics in general, offers to uh, the guys who govern us is that, uh, as I put it to uh, David Starkey, you know, the, the guy at number 23 Elm Street, uh, the big bearded imam, and his four child brides doesn't really have anything in common with the shishi gay couple at number 21 Elm Street. Uh, so when they greet each other over the garden fence, there's, you know, they got nothing in common. So that, uh, so that social relations between these various identity groups require a, a bigger and bigger state to mediate the interests of the competing parties because we have nothing in common. That again is going to lead to the kind of policing where nobody cares about. You know, I saw, for example, the uh, back, the, what was it on the internet somewhere? Back the blue won't back the brown, implying that the police department, uh, the policeman wouldn't go and save these children because they were Hispanic children. I would doubt that is true. I would think the. Uh, as far as I can tell, the the police department is uh, pretty much representative of the town it, it polices. But I can see how that would become true, that that you will have uh, you you will eventually have uh, el elite uh, government units that are nothing that are descend like colonial district officers on obscure towns here and there and have nothing in common with any of the people they're policing. We're returning to, we're self-primitivizing. Uh, um, when you say post-democratic, post-enlightenment period, I think the post-democratic period has been with us for a while. But what's interesting, I always find if you ever express an opinion on the COVID, for example, some complete ass on Twitter always, oh, well, are you a virologist? Oh, I see, I see. So tanking the economy, which is what government policies have done, you have to be a virologist to express an opinion on that. That's not how, you know, I love the way this, this is how these things, this is how these people think. Oh, look, there's uh, the, the monkeypox has come along. Are you a virologist? Well, yes, I am. I'm a virologist. Well, what's your opinion on the monkeypox? I think we uh, need to shut down, have a big lockdown, and we can't have one of those loosey-goosey lockdowns we had a couple of years ago. We got a lockdown totally this time. And I'm a virologist. Oh, thank you very much. So you've got to be a virologist to tank the global economy. People are embracing this future and it's and it's uh, and it's going to destroy them. Uh, Gisela Elapola writes, "Hi Mark, what is your take on the Archbishop of San Francisco refusing communion to Nancy Pelosi because of her extreme pro-abortion stance while claiming to be a devout Catholic?" I'm all in favor of it. Uh, and the only problem with it is it's like four decades too late. Uh, there should have been much more. You know, we all we all know how it goes with because we saw it with Ted Kennedy for decades. Um, the, 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 the Catholic leaders of the American Catholic Church have not acquitted themselves well because that's a rather politicized institution, too. And. Uh, the Catholic Church either take, and I understand, you know, you could apply what I'm about to say to various other aspects of its recent history. But the fact is, the Catholic Church has no point if it doesn't take sin seriously. And uh, when you have people who are, you know, there are all kinds of contradictions between what we espouse publicly and what how we live our lives privately. But these people, people like Nancy Pelosi, are abortion absolutists in every aspect of their existence. And then they expect to be able to go to church on Sunday 
and be treated as one who is without sin. And I, all I all I will say is that I wish the you know I, I wish archbishops and bishops had done this uh, with with respect to Nancy Pelosi uh, decades ago. Johnny from Doylestown, Pennsylvania says, "Hi, Mark. Did you happen to take in?" New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern's Harvard commencement address this week. She received standing ovations talking about gun control and disinformation control on social media. She emphasised that democracy is in peril if we don't trust experts and our governments. What's your take on Jacinda Ardern? Is she the future of the West? She was elected PM at age 37. Can we expect AOC to be president in just five years? By the way, in case you might doubt her woke bona fides, she did a long intro in Maori, wore a Maori kakahu cloak over her academic robes, And her daughter has a Maori middle name, even though neither the father nor anyone in her family is Maori. Duh. No kidding. Well, she's had one of the best couple of years of any prime minister in the West over the COVID thing. Although I think she's actually overplayed her hand and I don't know uh, quite what her prospects will be. Uh, moving forward. She's making the most of her global celebrity. You know, being Prime Minister in New Zealand isn't the most exciting job. Her her predecessor, Sir John Key, Sir John Key, he was like a sort of soft, uh, centre-right, decent bloke. I wouldn't put it any higher than that. But that is always where I've thought, you know, New Zealand varies between from the soft centre, mushy, decent bloke like Sir John Key, or uh, someone who's who pulls New Zealand way to the left, like Miss Arden. And it's always an interesting question as then as to how much the right wing guy uh, gets to uh, gets to to pull it back. John Fatchy says, traditionally, American children would dream of being president, baseball players, astronauts, etc. Whether or not we're ever serious about those aims for any period of time, the presumption that anyone could be anything they set their mind to, as we were raised in the 20th century anyhow, virtually assures that it crosses our mind at some point that we could be president no matter how farcical a dream it might be. As a subject of the crown, have you ever dreamed of being king? Do you think you'd be a good one? (laughs) I don't think I actually can be king. I think the best I I could uh, ever have hoped for is to uh, marry a a princess and uh, for my children to wind up being whatever it would have been. I'm trying to think of anyone I could have... Uh, I think probably Lady Sarah Armstrong Jones, Princess Margaret's daughter, was probably the 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 first one I could have uh, uh, made a play for. But I, I've never I've never had the uh, th- taking of it as a series. I've never had the interest in doing that. I just like to be. I don't want to. I don't want to tell people what to do. I just like to be someone who doesn't get told what to do. And I've, I think that, that's, that's all. That's all. So this, I've always found it, people who want to be president or even people who want to be prime minister, generally speaking, that ought to be the main qualification for not being. Lifetime, being a politician oughtn't, oughtn't to be a thing. The way Trump did it, where you're just like uh, going along, you're leading your life, you're uh, squiring attractive women around town, you're uh, going to uh, parties with successful A-list New Yorkers, you're doing this, you're doing that, and at one point you just look around and you go, God, everything is so crap, I think I uh, might as well run for president and, uh, and, and try and change it. That's actually... <laughs> That is that is actually the best attitude, and so what they disliked most about him was, I think, actually what was uh, what was best about him. And 
you know, we're moving into a we're moving into a feudal age. When you look at that's Bill Gates isn't just a, a rich rich men, even if you go back a century to America, rich men used to be locally rooted. Rich men grew up in a particular part of the world, and often they'd marry someone from that part of town. They might marry their secretary, and they'd live in a big house in that town. And we've developed since then a kind of one eight hundred class of rich men who who have an you know who have a, 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 a an area code that is not locally rooted anywhere. So they just fly out, fly around. You you come along with the right crap product at the right time, like Windows ninety eight. It's rubbish. Uh, it, it, uh, it, 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 it lets in every virus on the planet and then you make a load of money, everyone forgets about you and then a, a, a real virus comes along, not a computer virus, and suddenly you're the biggest public health expert on the planet even though you've got moobs dangling down to the ground. And I think this disconnect, this gulf, it's, it's, there's nothing like it. It's, it's getting medieval. Uh, or to put it in more contemporary terms, it's getting very banana republic like Latin America. There's a small number in the elite and there's the seething masses. And looking at those guys meeting in Davos, I don't want to live in their world. You know, we actually now are in pre-revolutionary times. We're either in pre-revolutionary times or we're bas basically in, in pre-dystopian times where we're going to be living in uh, 1984, and they will simply have too much technological control all over us. Um, little bit of uh, little bit of music to close. I wasn't here last uh, week, and I was going to play something by Teresa Berganza, the best mezzo soprano of all time, according to many people. I'm not sure I'm in a position to make that judgment, but she was certainly uh, tremendous whenever I saw her, which I did, I think, uh, maybe half a dozen times over the last few decades in one thing or another. And as I said, I was going to play her last week, and I'd, uh, and I'd picked something rather esoteric to play because uh, I didn't want to play anything too obvious. But I've had a bit of a crummy week, and so I thought instead of playing something esoteric, I thought I'd just uh, lay back and wallow in a tremendous big hit. And this is Teresa Berganza singing from Carmen, the famous gypsy song. Sous des maisons stylées 
with the Ambrosian Singers and the London Symphony Orchestra conducted by Claudio Abado. The Gypsy Song from Carmen. Thrilling music and words to match. Tambour de Basque, allez le train et les guitares forcenées, grincées sous des mains obstinées. Frenzied guitars ground under stubborn hands. A train of Basque drums. Text by uh, Henri Maillac and uh, Ludovic Alevy. Music by Georges Bizet. Rest in peace, Teresa Berganza. We'll have more music. Rick McGuinness's movie pick, The Hundred Years Ago Show, on and on, all here at Stein Online. A real treat for you, too, on our Sunday Serenade Song of the Week, 5.30pm London time, 12.30 lunchtime New York. Hope you'll tune in. Bizet is such a great songwriter. Uh, let's hear what Xavier Cougar has to make of that. Stay safe, stay free. Thank you. 
Stein Show. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. Thank you.